This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hi, I'm Chinny. And I'm Astrid, and welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that widens access to African history. We're also the co-authors of a book by the same name. You can find out more information about us on itsacontinent.com. We're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country by appreciating the identity of each nation. Through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello and welcome back to another episode of It's a Continent. How's it going? We are back. We are back. Yes, yes. This week has actually been a really good week. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we were shortlisted Mm -hmm. um, on the Independent Podcast Awards. It was really lovely, really nice to be invited be shortlisted and we met so many so many, so many podcasts so many podcasters so yeah. thank you so much honestly we had so much fun and an amazing excuse to get dressed up yes and i've added so many new podcasts onto my list it's actually ridiculous yeah. so yeah yeah you yeah amazing amazing the penultimate episode no this will be the final episode of this i year. yes maybe <laughs> <laughs> Look how already planning, Astrid. Well, we, um, first so of all, we got the seasons wrong. We thought we were in season seven, <laughs> and we found out we were actually in season eight. Mm, so, so, you know, we just start to lose count. We just start to lose seasons. count. There's just another another amazing episode. So get ready, get ready. Right, where are we? African Pride first. Yes, this week's African Pride goes to Mambuguma Dien and Wapa Diallo, who won the prestigious 2023 Kane Prize for African Writing, a first for Senegal. Shout out Senegal, because, you know, it's got a special place in our hearts Mm. now. (laughs) Definitely recommend, definitely recommend. Just don't get fleeced by the market people. (laughs) And also make sure you have enough cash. The ATM situation. The ATM situation is, I feel like we need to do a separate episode on the ATM situation in Senegal, because... We were struggling to find... If you find one that works, just withdraw your life savings. Yeah, just take take everything, <laughs> everything that you, you have. Yeah, else you'll be <laughs> running around <laughs> trying to find an ATM with enough cash for you to take out. Honestly. So, no, but best time though, best Honestly, time. Honestly, a lovely place that you should definitely, definitely visit. We're here for sponsorship opportunities for we also, Yes, we also are. Yes, yes, we'd be up for it. Um, my 30th is next year, so Botswana. Yes. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just putting it out there. Yes. We are, we're manifesting. Manifesting. We're manifesting. Botswana 2024. Exactly. Dean is a writer, spokesperson and humanitarian aid worker. His wife, Diallo, is a lawyer, feminist and activist. She was his inspiration behind the writing as Dien was inspired by Diallo's struggles as a woman coming of age in a traditional society. Their story, A Soul of Small Places, is inspired by Diallo's experience of gender-based violence in Senegal. The story was written in just six days, in an almost possessed state, and was a powerful collaboration between the two. In an interview with the BBC, Dien said, The co-authoring comes from the fact that the story could not have been written if I hadn't met Wapa and if I hadn't heard Wapa speak. 
So I, I was like, where can I find this story now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's incredible. Now, this week, we are in Botswana. Mm -hmm. So we've already mentioned it, but hey, this is where we are now. And you know, a friend was just out there and it does look amazing. So again, tourist boards, we are here. But moving away from holidays, um, today's episode is about diamonds, governments and corporations, and namely everyone's favourite diamond cartel, De Beers. The relationship between African states and multinationals is fraught. So take, for example, Nigeria and Shell, the DRC and Microsoft. But what happens if a state forges a partnership with a multinational, but it becomes too reliant? And can a multinational be a threat to a nation's sovereignty, even if it looks stable on the outside? How does a large corporation corrupt the government in the name of profit? Botswana is in the centre of southern Africa, bordering Namibia, South Africa, Zimbabwe and Zambia. After 80 years as a British protectorate, Botswana gained independence on September 30th, 1966, under the leadership of Soretsi Kama. And we cover his defining love story in the book, so make sure you check it out. Paperback out, yeah. (laughs) All of that stuff, all of that stuff. (laughs) Upon independence, Botswana was seen as one of the world's poorest countries, highly dependent on their former coloniser and beef exports. With bordering South Africa being a regional powerhouse with a lot of diplomatic sway, what was the way forward for Botswana's development policy? Diamonds. This material saw Botswana become the fastest growing economy in the developing world for over 40 years, seeing it defined by the World Bank as an upper-middle income country with the aspiration of becoming a high-income country. Some see Botswana's story as that of success, as they have reversed the resource curse. The resource curse is seen in multiple African countries like the DRC, Sierra Leone and Nigeria, for example, who are rich in mineral resources but haven't seen economic growth reflecting their material wealth. This is usually because someone in the global north is becoming rich as a result. And here, like, we've got so many, so many examples of this. So many. Let's look at Botswana's partner. The often controversial De Beers is unrivaled in terms of exploration, mining and marketing of diamonds, being the brains behind a diamond is forever and that the gems should be given upon engagement. Social construct, guys. Are you, are you not asking for Hey, lab grown. Listen. <laughs> true, true, true. There's so many different. Yeah. The company monopolised the market, charging extortionate fees to diamond producers and merchants for 80 years. However, This all ended at the turn of the millennium when Russia, Canada and Australia started diamond distribution outside of the beers and the rising awareness of blood diamonds. So this is when diamonds are sold to fund armed conflict and civil war. Botswana's diamond history begins around 1967 when De Beers geologists found diamond-bearing deposits at Orapa, which is the largest diamond-producing mine in the world. Explorers had been on the case since 1955 the land was so rich with diamonds that De Beers recovered the cost of their investment within two years of the mine opening. Damn, within two years? Those diamonds be diamonding. De Beers paid Botswana $20 million for a diamond concession in 1969, and this reportedly returned $60 million a year in profits. These are just $60 million a year in profits? Silly numbers, honestly. But who's it going to? Whose pockets are it lining? Over subsequent years, the Botswana government increased their ownership stake from 15% to 50% by 1975. 
This partnership was initially known as the De Beers Botswana Mining Company. On March the 25th, 1992, it was renamed Debswana. Sounds like a ship name, but it's not. Debswana. <laughs> I wonder how long it took for someone <laughs> to, come to come up, up with, with that. that. <laughs> See, that's the sort of thing, like, work-wise, I'd be like... Who is the person who pays you to come up with just these random names? Because I do, I, I do that. And if they're making like 60 million in profits, I'd take a mill. It's okay Why not? for my level of creativity. <laughs> Move fast and break things. <laughs> Initially, this agreement was seen as a model for African mining economies wanting to move away from the resource curse and translate their mineral wealth into socio-economic gains. Botswana ended up generating more revenue per year than the DRC and South Africa despite mining fewer diamonds and carrots per year. When diamonds were discovered in Botswana, there were only three secondary schools. Now, due to diamond revenue, there are more than 300. Children aged between 6 to 13 could receive free education and secondary schools are 95% funded by the government. The period between 1967 and 1973 saw this desert nation, which used to rely on agriculture as its main economy, rise to third in the world in terms of diamond production. But at what cost? Botswana remains one of the most unequal countries in the world, and a reason for this could be the diamond industry having way too much sway in the way the government conducts itself. Perhaps it's time we moved past the African miracle mirage and addressed human rights issues that have occurred because of resource exploitation. The indigenous rights organisation Survival International published reports that the Botswana government conducted a campaign of harassment against the San people. This ethnic group originated in the Kalahari Desert and have been systematically and forcefully removed from their land, with the Botswana government and De Beers not held to account. The San people are hunter-gatherers who lived for thousands of years on their land. So let's go back to pre-independent Botswana for a moment. The British colonial government established the Central Kalahari Game Reserve with the purpose of conserving the natural habitat. The government drilled water resources, welfare, education, health and medical services to the San inhabitants. However, by the mid-1990s, this all changed. In 1995, the Botswana government started relocating thousands of San people, claiming that the discovery of diamonds in the region and relocation were not linked. Yeah, of course they were. Of course. <laughs> yeah, oh, just, no. You just found diamonds and all of a sudden you're moving. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sure. This is a health and safety issue. Yeah. <laughs> you just imagine, health and safety. The San people stood their ground and ended up winning a landmark case in 2013 that they had been evicted illegally and they had a right to live on their ancestral lands. The Botswana government has, for the most part, ignored this rule with racial discrimination frequent, particularly as the San people have been shut out from the political decision-making process. The Swana, Botswana's majority ethnic group, has controlled the Botswana Democratic Party, the BDP, since independence in 1966. The BDP's actions have not gone unnoticed, as the UN Human Rights Council Committee on Eliminating Racial Discrimination have criticised the government's approach on shutting out minorities from political participation. It is, in theory, a one-party state within a multi-party context, a liberal authoritarian state but De Beers and the West described them as a stable, liberal and effective African democracy. 
they always say that. Yeah, it's like, like, it's when fine. they want to get a certain rate, it's always yeah. like, Do you know, it's perfectly fine. Like we have this with Veranda. Yeah. Oh yeah. Look at those human rights abuses. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> God. I think I read somewhere quite recently, like the UN had like removed them from this list because of the human rights challenges. So like, and you can like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Everyone is going to Rwanda. Yeah. However, some have argued that this sense of stability is orchestrated by De Beers to maintain a profit reaping environment. Which, yeah. I mean, obviously. It's, yeah. <laughs> we don't have to argue. We don't it's, have to it's argue. Kind of there. Is there. Yeah. yeah. There have been assertions that De Beers has provided funding to the BDP, giving the party an unfair electoral advantage. The lack of transparency in the diamond economy has shrouded this alleged funding in secrecy. During the 1984 elections, De Beers put together a financial bailout plan for Ketumile Masiro, Botswana's second president. De Beers saw the BDP's increase in unpopularity as a threat to their profit margin. I mean... Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. De Beers and Anglo-American pulled together a secretive report, the Schlemmer Report, which suggested new leadership was essential and Masiro should step down. Masiro was reluctant to leave his position as his private company remained in massive debt. So De Beers decided to offer more money to Masiro's company, also making sure that he got a sizable retirement package. It's quite problematic to have De Beers select the president of a country as they effectively have sway over the country's governance. They called upon the help of a shady Panama-based ghost company. I mean, someone says Panama-based ghost company. (laughs) Do you even need to include ghost companies? (laughs) It's like, is this company real? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) To broker the deal, then they threw Debswana managing director Luis Nchindo under the bus, claiming he orchestrated the deal and that De Beers didn't benefit. In 2010, Chindo was found dead under mysterious circumstances in Gaborone whilst being tried for corruption charges. It remains difficult for the San people to fight relocation due to dehydration, depression and malnutrition in camps. Survival International have published reports that the Botswana government conducted a harassment campaign to drive out the sand people to enable diamond mining exploration to take place on their land. Luis Inchido, the managing director of Deswana, said at the time, The government was justified in removing the Baswara from the reserve. It is sensible of government to take such action. Otherwise, who would always want to remain in the dark ages whilst others move forward? So... It has this illusion of stability when actually there's just a lot of corruption, corruption. taking place. Mm-hmm. But that's similar to here, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I mean, we don't have Where, to hide it here. It's not hidden here anymore, is it? I feel like for some people it is still hard, but I do think it's, yeah, how it's presented and it's mm. all smoke, smoke and mirrors until you kind of dig into the layers and see what's actually going on. And you're like, yeah, Until all, you see the WhatsApp messages. Corrupt. You're yeah. like, oh, okay. Obviously love the encryption. I thought it was encrypted. <laughs> Still can screenshot yeah. that for anyone who's messaged me. <laughs> Better delete everything. <laughs> the Sam people said, we are not blind. We know that the government is taking us out because of something. We know that the area is very rich in diamonds. The Sam people deserve to have their human and cultural rights respected. Land is a particular issue in Botswana due to the corporate partnership. All lands except for a small amount of freehold land, which under colonialism was owned by a European minority, is owned by the government. So perhaps so that the mining can occur and when diamond ores are discovered. 
This has led to communities having little say over land ownership. Ex-employees of Debswana have also had issues with the company, even going so far as to label the produce blood diamonds. Diamond mining is not an easy task, and they claim they worked their lungs out during employment only to find that Debswana management dismissed them when asked for better remuneration. Think about how profitable the industry and company is. What was that in the first year? You know I mean? <laughs> Let's remake so, the cost yeah. of digging. I'm sorry, you, we can't give you any more money. Um, because my boss needs to get richer. The Bissona management had given themselves huge increases, whilst ordinary workers were offered nothing. In August 2004, Debswana workers at Orapa and Dwaneng Mines went on strike for better wages and bonuses. In response, Louis Nchido, the managing director, declared the strikes as illegal and sacked over 460 workers. So yikes for me. But I'm guessing there's probably a sense of like, well, I can sack you, I can kind of easily replace you, right? Like yeah. You're, you're sacking 460 Where are you going to then like find that? 460 people to replace <laughs> But I kind of feel like he's sort of like, I probably easily can. Yeah, he probably could. To be Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I know he could. So there's that, just the absolute, like, just the arrogance of it really <laughs> irritates. I'm not going to say irritate, but anyway, let me use that word. Yeah. We're a clean podcast. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> this is supposed to be for students to learn history. <laughs> it honestly irritates me so much. Like, what? You're just going to be like, yeah, bye. That, yeah. that was illegal. Because none of the other things you guys are doing yeah. is illegal. Like, dude. And the dependency on Debswana as an employer is a real issue mm. um, because Debswana as a company threatened the lives of workers suffering from HIV and AIDS by cutting them off from antiretroviral drugs and dismissing children from mine schools, even if they were on scholarship. So this highlights the effect to which the company owned their workers. So Wait, so they're not giving them access to... Well, what had happened was that Dibswana was the first company in Africa to offer its employees free antiretrovirals, very expensive medication, particularly mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and this was only because, according to Nchindo, it's cost effective. In his words, economists warned us it would be more expensive to do nothing. If we didn't do anything, it would cost us a lot more in the end. So it's more of a cost saving because it. we need alive workers. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. And according to UNICEF, Botswana was in the top four countries in the world most affected by the disease behind South Africa, Eswatini and Lesotho. So, yeah, it was really brave of those workers to strike because they really have a lot to lose, to be fair. Mm. Botswana may not have beaten the resource curse as its economy is still heavily reliant on diamonds and the public sector model has made the country more vulnerable to external shocks. This is because diamonds contribute over 90% of total exports and are a major source of fiscal revenue. Debswana has been behind the development of airstrips, roads, hospitals, water supplies and schools. The rising concern of diversification, which would allow Botswana's economy to benefit from other types of industry, has been repeatedly opposed by Debswana. So who is actually running this country? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we failed to say Botswana. It's just, it's just been, Debswana. It's just Debswana. It's just, but that is like, this is the thing about not looking far ahead and sort of being like okay we cannot purely yes we're making mad money and also not okay we're helping certain areas of society but also terrible things are happening yeah um but you do need to diversify your portfolio people Uh, right business 101 look at me using that management degree even the (laughs) even the mlm people will tell you that so one key example of the industry opposing uh 
diversification is benefication. So that is the processing of raw material in uh, Botswana. So this process would allow Botswana to sell a more finished product with a higher export value. The idea was met with real resistance from Botswana, with the managing director stating, it would be national folly to prescribe that any percentage of their, so Botswana's, diamonds needed to be beneficiated locally. So wouldn't you think that like, if you're from Botswana, you'd want your country to be richer and, and do this process? Yeah, because actually you're then able to make even more money because you're owning more of... Because we covered yeah. this um, in another episode, um, another topic-based episode. But yeah, by owning more of that supply chain, mm-hmm. you're able to kind of get more money instead of having to then rely on other countries to do certain elements. Gosh, this has turned into a business school. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Stephen Bartlett, we're coming for you. <laughs> in the end, De Beers relented but this was largely because of their weakened position in the international diamond market and increased reliance on African suppliers. They ended up moving their international sales department and stone sorting operation from London to Gaborone in 2013, along with supply chain activities. It was in London? <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> I'm sorry, so <laughs> imagine that that's your, yeah, I'm just waiting on the diamonds to arrive from Botswana. Like, <laughs> damn. <laughs> The issue remains that Botswana is still heavily reliant on De Beers to integrate its economy into the global market. It could be said that the multinational is a threat to sovereignty and autonomy of the country, as there are government policies in favour of maintaining status quo through financial influence. This means that De Beers is seen as a shot caller rather than a strategic partner. Ultimately, the aim of Botswana is to maximise profits. Mm. The secrecy continues with the diamond industry as sales are negotiated in tax havens through private agreements. The Botswana government fails to publish key documents and statistics like mining agreements, financial revenue, valuation and pricing. The example of manipulating elections could mean De Beers is more of a shot caller with Botswana not seen as an equal. And in October 2023, Botswana and De Beers announced a 10-year sales agreement through to 2033 with a 25-year extension of a mining license. De Beers is now majority owned by Anglo-America. It's like two of the the heavyweights there. Making the Botswana government and Anglo-America De Botswana owners. Three quarters of De Botswana's production is sold to De Beers with Botswana state-owned company Okavango Diamond Company receiving the remaining 25%. The new contract sees this rise to 30% with a scale-in of 50% during the last year of the agreement. Wait, so this is from the Botswana side that they would get 30% and then on the <laughs> final year you're getting 50? How steep is the gradient? <laughs> oh, I was like... What? Who pulled the steel together? Who even accepted this deal? Neocolonizers put this together, I presume. I um. was... <laughs> oh my gosh, you look at this and you're like, the short term and is... Like, you're, you're getting 50% at the final year. You might as well not bother. You might as well... People have to stay rich. Like, you might as well not bother. Oh yeah, do you know what? Actually, we'd like to push for 50% in the final year. Nothing nothing else for the, na- the final we'll stick, year. Yeah. We'll stick to 25%. Yeah. For na- Just, I can't, I can't. Some of these deals that African nations make actually blows my mind. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> what in the lack of economics, <laughs> economics is going it's on? Just here. no sway. I mean, they're, they're swaying the elections. They're doing everything. I mean, what what can you do, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Botswana President Masisi has been pushing for a bigger share of Botswana's output. And he threatened to cut ties with the mining company if the government's concern weren't reflected in this new deal, which has been in negotiation since 2018. So, Botswana is Botswana. <laughs> like mm. Botswana, they're owned. It's they're almost owned, like they are yeah. owned by that company. They're, they're a com- Yeah, they are owned. Yeah, they are in a chokehold. Yeah. Um, hence the whole. We really need to be pushing for better deals, people. <sighs> It would have been interesting if he did cut ties with De Beers, but like I just don't see. Because <laughs> mm. then, it. would they find a way to then do a deal with another African nation, and mm. sort of then shut you down that yeah, way? Do you know what I mean? Botswana, yeah, so. it's a bit of a yeah. Mm. Diamonds. Thank oh, you. This was forever. A, this, <laughs> this was recommended, wasn't it? This, this it episode. was. Yes, suggestions. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, thank you to, um, yeah, it was a nice recommendation we had from a listener on Instagram DMs. So feel free to suggest other topics that we follow. Yes, send it Instagram, Twitter, yes. emails. Yeah, um, we are on Instagram at It's Continent Pod. We are on Twitter at It's Continent. We are on threads as something. Oh, we <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know? No. <laughs> Is thread still on? I, I don't, don't know. know. I, don't, I don't think that's... Actually, let me know because I'm not on the pulse of social media, so let me know. Me neither, but I thought, you know, you've got to just catch them all as per the Pokemon there. Um, and we were on TikTok. Oh, yes, we're on TikTok. Yes. We're trying to make that a thing. We Yes, we are. <laughs> Middle-aged millennials just trying, honestly, to, trying, trying to, to find our way through stay TikTok. Stay relevant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. We need some Gen Z because really, TikTok We need is help. A, <laughs> TikTok is a mind field. But we will get there. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll see you two weeks time. Two weeks time at some point soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye.